0: Eighth chapter is the text, a, sum, a uh, summation of all that he says about the resurrection. Everybody likes to win. There is nothing quite as unpleasant as losing. If you don't believe that, then the next time you get a group of people around you, you begin to tell them how you lose and see how long they will listen to you. Everybody likes to win. Christianity is no exception. In the Christian life, there is no substitute for victory. We're supposed to win. And if you read sometime our Lord's letters to the seven churches, His last statement to the church, all of the promises of God are to overcomers. He that overcomes... I will grant the keys to the kingdom. He that overcomes, I will cause him to sit at the right hand of my throne, and on and on again. If you don't win, you lose. There are no ties. It's sudden death playoff. In the Christian life, there is no substitute for victory. We're supposed to win. Our Lord has made no provision for defeat. And one day I just observed, I'm sure you'd already discovered this, that when the Apostle Paul gave the description of the armor that we're to take as we prepare for battle, there was no armor for the back. He makes no provision for retreat. Everybody likes to win, and everybody adores a winner. That's why Easter Sunday is so important to us. And that's why people stream to churches on Easter Sunday by the thousands. We long to celebrate a victory. And our heart longs to adore a winner. There there are four kinds of victory. There is a false victory. A false victory is the victory you have to win by your own effort, energy, your own creativity or ingenuity. That's a false victory. Notice that he said, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. For genuine victory is not something you achieve by your effort or your creativity. It is something you receive as a gift of His grace. So when somebody tells me I'm trying to achieve victory in my life, I'm trying to live the Spirit-filled life. I know that means that He's not. There are two things that need to be said about false victory. Oftentimes, it's a mistaken victory. So that when the Holy Spirit begins to convince us and to deal with us concerning the defeat and failure in our life, we, the first thing we want to do is, the first decision we make is, to do more for God. I need to double my efforts, and so we double our efforts to do better. And there are some of you here this morning who are so busy serving God that you don't have time to be spiritual. I remember one time having a witnessing class in my church, and one of the men that I especially expected to see at the witnessing class didn't show up. I asked him about it later. He said, Gerald, I wanted to come. He said, I need to be there. I know it's best. But he said, Gerald, I'm so busy doing all these other things that I have to do. I I just really don't have time for that. And for some of us, it's a substitute victory. And so when the Holy Spirit begins to put his finger upon that area of defeat in our life and our failure and our emptiness... We want to substitute something for that. We begin to make commitments and promises and decisions that are not even related to the problem, the real problem. Counselors will tell you that when people come to them with problems, the great majority of them talk about problems that are not the real problem. And the the skill of a counselor is that he's able to cut through the smoke screen and get past these things they talk about as problems that are not real problems down to the real problem. And so a young person comes home from college after having been there for one semester and he announces to his parents, I don't believe the Bible anymore. I don't believe the Bible is true. His parents get all upset because their son has suddenly become an atheist or a heretic. That's not the real problem. The real problem is not that he doesn't believe the Bible anymore. The real problem is that he's gotten away from home and his, the influence of his parents and the, the restrictions of his home church and his home community and gotten involved in some stuff in college he knows he doesn't need to be involved in. So he passes it off as not believing the Bible. And sometimes God begins to put his finger on an attitude that I have in my life. And rather than going and making that right and getting that attitude straightened out and making things right with the person with whom I have a feeling of, of bitterness and anger, I'll walk down the aisle of a church much easier. I'll promise the Lord I'm going to start tithing. I'm going to start teaching Sunday school. I'm going to start witnessing. And sometimes we substitute walking down the aisle for genuine repentance. And sometimes we substitute a dynamic genuine encounter with God, we substitute a, a, an emotional experience for that. False victory. And then there's first victory. I'm speaking to some this morning in, who in the past few months have begun to discover that the Christian life is more than just going to church and paying your money and going through the motions and the ritual. And some of you have begun to discover that the Christian life is the surrender of one to Christ, and you've encountered Him in new and wonderful ways, and you've begun to discover that there is an abundant life to follow Christ, there is an abundance in following Him. I need to warn you, don't mistake this first victory for full victory. I like to refer to first victory as one who gives permission to the surgeon to begin to operate. You know how that goes, don't you? The surgeon comes in with his papers and he says to you, he says, now you need surgery, but I can't perform surgery until you give me permission. And so you take out your pen and with trembling hand, you write your name there, sign your name there. Now, you don't take off that horrible hospital gown and leave and say, well, I'm cured. That's just the beginning. First victory is not the end of the matter. It's the beginning. You just give permission to the surgeon to begin to cut. When you understand that first victory is discovering the fact that Christ needs the surrender of your life, that's just giving him permission to begin to cut away. It's putting the scalpel in his hand to make that incision. The pain sometimes just begins then. And he wakes you up in the middle of the night And He puts His finger on some area of your life, not surrender to Him. And when you get through dealing with that and get that right, it's not over then. He puts His finger on another area of your life and begins the process of the purification there. And the pain and the process and the discomfort continues until you're formed and shaped into the likeness of Christ. I need to warn you who fall into the first two categories, Those of you who have false victory, you'll burn yourself out someday and you'll discover this is not the way. And those of you who are in the the stage of first victory who long for something more than just the ritual of the Christian life, I need to warn you that you're a prime candidate for false teachers. There's a third victory. It's called full victory. Now, full victory is when a person really understands that the way to live the Christian life is not to do, to try to do more for him or to exert more effort or to bring to bear more creativity and ingenuity, more time spent. That the real secret of the Christian victory to live victoriously in Christ is just to make myself available to him to live his life in and through me. Some of you have heard Ron Dunn's parable of the faucet. It's not every time that a guy talks to a faucet. Some preachers may. Ron Dunn said that one day he was walking by his faucet in the the kitchen, and he said the faucet said, Ron, Master, he said, I'm so disappointed in myself. And Ron, you know, took notice of a talking faucet. He said i i haven't poured out myself to you today i haven't given you a drink of water and i haven't given you some refreshing uh, for your brow he said i feel so ashamed i haven't done anything for you today and ron said now fawcett i don't want you to pour out yourself to me just turn yourself on and, and 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 pour out water to me. He said, there wouldn't be anything any more wasteful than you just turn yourself on and just run all day. What a waste of energy. He said, I know that every time I pass by that you're available to me. All I have to do is just beckon and you'd give me a drink or cool my brow. He said, all I want of you is for you just to make yourself available to me. That's the secret. Well, you see if i live in this sphere of life a mode of living that i just make myself available to him who gets the credit for the success of failure if i put my bible under my arm and i come in here on sunday morning i've worked all week to try to get this sermon together big crowd a lot of visitors and i get ready on sunday morning and i come in here with my bible under my arm and i I use all the skills that I learn in seminary and I do a good job, who gets the credit for that? But if I make myself available during the week to God in prayer, before I come in here on Sunday morning, I say to God, I am nothing without you, I'm available to you however you want to use me, and something happens in here that's supernatural, who gets the credit? If you go out visiting tomorrow and you go in the energy of your flesh, And you fail, who's responsible? Or you succeed, who gets the credit? But if you go out tomorrow because the Holy Spirit is so upon your life and has so directed you, and you go knocking on the door, who gets the credit? I want you to hear me now. There is no limit to what God can do if a person is willing for Him to get the credit, available to Him. One last thought, please there is final victory. You have not achieved final victory. There's not a person here this morning that is beyond the reach of sin. There is no one in this room today that is beyond the reach of mistake or failure. Some of the deepest relationships I've had in the church and some of the most committed Christians I have known in the past have failed and without exception they have said to me pastor I never meant for that to happen I never thought it would and when Simon Peter was in that upper room he never dreamed that he would deny his Lord and when Jesus said to him Simon before the rooster crows you will have denied me three times and simon said never will it happen maybe these but not me never and i'm convinced that he he believed that he he sincerely meant that he never dreamed it would happen but there is no one who is beyond the reach of sin a failure and some of you will walk out of this audience, out of this room this morning, who are in this audience, and you will fail the Lord. None of us are beyond the reach of sin. No final victory. Now I want to say something profound. You don't have final victory, but you've got it. Now that is profound or confusing. You, you don't have final victory, but you have it. In 1944 on June the 6th the D-Day invasion began on the coast of France my brother was in on that invasion he didn't come home I've lived um, 53 years I've never met anybody who was in on that invasion survived it until six months ago and a guy in this visiting in Durant was talking to me and, and, and I got to talking about that and he, he, he was there He told me about it. He said for, on that morning of June the 6th, thousands, literally thousands of troops and those amphibious vessels, vehicles, began that assault on the beaches of Normandy, Omaha, and Utah Beach. And he said they literally slaughtered thousands of those men. My brother is one of them. And they just kept coming. And finally, in the sheer numbers of them, they overwhelmed and they claimed the beach. Somebody was telling me this morning in Sunday school, he heard the early service. He knew somebody. Maybe it was, I can't remember. He he may have been there. He said that they were pinned down for three days under this fierce barrage. And finally, finally, after thousands of them were dead, they got it. And the war was over. When they claimed that beach, it was over. Now, there were months of mopping up operations to be done. And they, those American troops, and some of you were there in the occupation, moved in across Europe and took it. But the battle was over on D-Day, 6th of June. You've got it, but you don't have it. For when Jesus burst out of the bowels of the earth and came out of the jaws of death, the final victory was won. And this is how the author of the book of Hebrews puts it. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. Nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see things, all things, subjected to him. Everything is subjected to him. We just don't see that. We have it, but we just don't have it. And the reason we know we have it is because of this day. For when he conquered death, he conquered everything that conquers us. And I think you're here this morning because you believe that the resurrection is no myth or fable, a solid fact, that the grave is empty. Behold the place where they laid him, end of communique, point of time. It's it's it, there he is, there it is, empty tomb. No vision of people hallucinating. No wild story concocted. In order to propagate the biblical myth, no premature burial or suspended animation, dead and alive. And eight slow days passed, and then our Lord appeared again in the midst of these disciples, perplexed and discouraged. And Jesus said to Thomas, he called to Thomas, Come and put your finger in these nail prints and put your hand in this wound. And all he replied, all he could say was, My Lord and my God. He came to life just three days after Calvary. The wind hardly had time to cover up the prints of his feet in the sands of Galilee. And the rain hardly had time to wash his blood from the cross. Just a vision of grandeur. A delusion? I can't believe this. Miracles like this don't happen. All this story of a dead body coming alive again out of grave clothes. A tale of a mysterious disappearance. A body going through a door. Ignorant disciples seeing angels sitting on a rock. I can't believe this. It's too much for me to swallow. But is there anything incongruent about a man who walked up to a funeral possession coming out of name and raised a boy to life, raising himself to life? And is there anything incompatible in believing that one that brought out of a festering grave the decaying body of Lazarus should not be able to come out of the grave himself? He knows how to get out. I want you to play a little game with me. I want you to go back in time with me 1900 years, back to the country of the camel, back to the sands of Palestine, back to the days when the Roman eagle fluttered over the bronze breastplates of Caesar's legions. And we're no longer in this room today. We're standing before a tomb in the garden. And there's a stone, and it begins to move. It really moves. And an earthquake begins to shake the ground, and we can't stand up. And we're clawing the earth, trying to hang on to the world by the fingernails. Then all of a sudden, you realize that someone's standing beside you. And you look up, and your eyes are fixed on those nail prints that wound and you hear a voice that's familiar lo I'm with you always even to the end of the earth I ask you could you ever be afraid of anything again could you ever fear death again is there anywhere you would not go anything you would not do any price you would not pay for him? And Livingston said it like this, Send me anywhere, Lord, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. And sever any tie except the tie that binds me to Thee. And Chaplain Robert Cook tells a story that happened one day in Vietnam eleven men on patrol. They'd been ambushed and all of them had been killed. It was a difficult day. The jungle sky dripped with rain and desolation. Here's a day much like this. And the chaplain finished speaking the last words over the graves of the eleven men in the patrol. had fallen together at the same place. And they stood there in the drenching rain, unable to shake off the prevailing feeling of desperation, then something suddenly happened. That big old red-headed, raw-boned man who played taps dropped his instrument to his side and began to sing. There's a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar. And the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there in the sweet by and by. In spite of the dark skies, every heart there was suddenly turned to God. If a man die, does he have victory over death? Yes! This story and I'm through. Anthony Campola tells that on Easter he, he, he was a member he went he, he attended a black church on Easter the old black preacher got up to preach that famous sermon it's Friday but Sunday's coming now I want to ask you to help me out here now black churches they, they talk to one another I'm going to see if you can, I'll tell you what to say and when to say okay now you see if you can't beat the first service This is what you have to say. After I say it's Friday, you say, but Sunday's coming. Let's practice. But Sunday. You got it. That's all you got to do. Here goes the sermon. And they took Jesus out, told Caiaphas, and he stripped him naked, put a purple robe on him, crowned him with a crown of thorns because it's Friday. But Sunday. And they beat him with a cat of nine tails until his back was shreds. It's Friday. And he carried that heavy cross out to Calvary, stumbling as he went. It's Friday. And they laid him down on the cross and drove great nails in his hand and feet on Friday. And they thrust him into the sky and jolted that cross down and he screamed in agony on friday he said by this time he worked up into a frenzy he said for 6 hours he hung there in horrible pain and then he bowed his head and died on friday but sunday sunday has come and one of these days There will be a shout, the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God. And every eye shall see him, and every knee shall bow to him, and every tongue confess him. Lord, he's the winner. Let's pray. God. Don't let us leave this dynamic place without Jesus Christ in our heart. Don't let us leave this audience, this room, without the living Lord in our heart. Give us the courage to receive the victory that is through our Lord Jesus Christ Victory over sin. Victory over death. We pray in Jesus' name. There are three imitations. I invite you this morning. I know it's difficult. You're in the balcony all the way to the back. You're in the choir. You're in the audience that's packed with seats in the aisle. It's difficult. I'm going to ask you, though, to get up out of your seat and come this way and give your heart and life to Christ. First victory is making yourself available to His saving power. Come to know Christ this morning. Don't leave without Him. Maybe you are one who is living His life in constant defeat. You were not meant to lose. Perhaps you need to come today to join our church. This is the day God made for you. Would you do it while we stand to sing? We invite you to come.